Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome in, everybody, to the OBR Film Breakdown. Hope you're having a fantastic Friday morning, Friday evening, or weekend whenever you're getting to this podcast. We love to do these. It's one of my favorite podcasts of the entire week where we look back at the big picture of the NFL, look back at the Browns, and then look forward at who the Browns play over the weekend. These are Fridays with John Colosimo. John, welcome in, my friend. How are you? I'm doing good, Jake. You know, it's... uh... We're just about to the weekend. Uh, I'm excited about this game, and uh, it sure feels like a new life in a Browns fan, you know, uh, lifetime from last <laughs> week where we were. Yeah, man. Well, that's the thing. How, lo- how long was the, the lifespan we lived from last Wednesday to this Wednesday? It's Jeez, pretty it's, crazy. Yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a cruel decade this past week. Well, let's start with <laughs> some of the big decisions, right? We're not even going to waste time on Odell. I I mean, he's going to the Rams. That's cool. Good for him. I don't quite understand what Eldell really wants. May, we don't know the, the money being thrown around. Maybe, like, I, I, again, he just might want to be in L.A. He might want to go to a place that's a bit, you know, has a real chance to win this whole thing. Who knows? Green Bay wasn't as interested as it sounds. The market wasn't hot. He wanted to go somewhere he could win. He's not going to – I mean, the offense is pretty similar. It's a similar play-action timing-based system that the Rams run. And he's not gonna steal a ton of targets, I wouldn't imagine, from Robert Woods or or uh, Cooper Cup. So I, I don't, I don't know. Good for him. I mean, I hope he's happy out in L.A. I'm sure he will be. I'm sure he'll make some plays. And the point, John, is if he does make some plays, you don't have to retweet it and react to it. Good for him, right? Move along. No, hundred percent. Uh, and I do expect him to do better. I mean, yeah. you know, given the bar is super low, you know. <laughs> True. Um, so it's not going to take much for him to do better in L.A. And I expect him to do better in L.A. Um, this is the kind of case where it was best for everybody to move on. And I think that's what you're going to see when he's in LA, whether he'll be happy there. I I don't know. Um, but it doesn't surprise me that he would choose LA over a green Bay. Um, that just makes sense from a town perspective. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's why I sent out like the preemptive tweet, like, you know, like be prepared, like he can do okay. And I don't care. You know, I just don't care. If it means that we get a, uh, you know, a normal Baker, and when I say normal Baker, I'm talking kind of late year, last year, first game this year type Baker, then I just don't care if he scores 15 touchdowns in the second half of the season. I don't care, you know, that because ultimately, if it means we get back a QB who we may then believe in again, then, you know, that is worth so much more than anything that he's doing for LA. Um, you know, it's a, it's a spiral of madness when you start talking about, you know, what to do about QB in a weak QB year with a team that's too good to be high in the draft, all those kind of things. Like it's the worst thing in the world. If we really have to talk about Baker, uh, you know, a replacement for Baker. And I'm not saying that we don't, I'm just saying that now there's a chance that, uh, he returns to normal, and that means that uh, you know maybe we don't have to scrap this thing. So you're saying there's a chance. I do agree. That's what it's all about, John. It was all about 
if if this thing's clearly not working, why you keep forcing it? We should go back yep. and investigate the without data. That's what they're doing, and it's off to a hot start. Moving on from Odell Beckham, because we've talked enough about him over the course of the past few months or years. Uh, let's talk about these two big decisions. Now, I don't know, John, if it's ironic timing that they let go of Odell and they say, you know what, we're going to throw money at the Maybe they were going to do it anyway. Maybe this was always the plan. Or maybe it rushed and accelerated the plan. But they go out and they they re um, well they they didn't extend Wyatt Teller did they 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 um his contract was up so they're 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 forming another contract what what's the way to put this what am I missing resigned him is yeah, that what it is I think I think it's resigned yeah yeah because they extended Joel but this would be a resigning because his contract was up after this year Joel had another year so that's an extension to a current contract so okay we'll start with this did you expect these deals to be done. And like this year, I mean, I kind of, I had moved on when Wyatt's deal came out. I was like, Oh, awesome. That's great. I love keeping Wyatt Teller around. I just didn't, I was in the middle of the season mode and didn't even process that they were even talking, you know? So like, Mm -hmm. I didn't expect it to happen. What was your gut reaction to both signings? Well, all right. So, you know, the first one, I was pretty excited about it. You know, obviously, um, the Odell situation kind of resolving itself now um, provided them with, I think, a little bit more clarity in terms of cap, um, where they might have had a much tougher decision if, you know, let's say you just improved a little bit, you know, over the course of the year, and then they got to decide, you know, um, whether, you know, to keep him or not. And to have that resolve, I think, kind of clarified things for him. Um, also clarifying things was Teller kind of returning to last year's form after, a, I would say, like a little bit of a rough start. Um, the, that was always the question. And I think that the, the one thing about the Teller thing is that I don't think they were ever going to extend him in the offseason. You know, because he came on all of a sudden, they were going to have to see if he could uh, maintain that kind of level of play, especially given that, like, I mean, he was the best graded guard in the NFL last year. So, you know, if he, if that's what, say, them from an agent side is negotiating from that position, then you better make sure that he is that guy if you're going to pay him that kind of money. Now, I think, actually, we got a pretty good steal, you know, if uh, because now he's returned to that type of play. He's improved his pass protection, I think, this year. Um, the, you know, 14 and a half, that's, you know, that's good money. That's good money for him. And that's uh, a good deal for the Browns. So I was very happy to see that happen. And I did think that if it was going to happen, it was going to happen sometime during this year. Um, did I, but I didn't see it happening on the heels of all the things that happened. It makes sense, but I certainly did not see it coming. Yeah. Same, same for me. I didn't see it coming. I knew that they were going to be talking. He was playing well. The uptick was there again. You needed to see proof that it wasn't a one-year wonder thing. I love that they're being patient on some of those things. And I also love that they were self-aware enough to go, we really love Joel too. Like it would make Nothing would make me happier than Joel retiring a Cleveland Brown because I just really like the dude. Like I just... There's nothing about Joel that's flashy. There's, there's just, it's just a guy who goes <laughs> yeah. out and does the stuff he's supposed to do, and he's really good at it. Um, among the best in his course of the, you know, the, his, his time spent in the NFL, and he's so integral as a, as a quiet leader for this team. And um, 
you know, I didn't even as much as I didn't expect Wyatt, I I kind of started to think, okay, they'll they'll probably finagle a way here to replace Wyatt's money with you know with Joel's future money, and that's how they can keep costs down. But they clearly have a plan here. They want both of these guys anchoring the interior. That probably means something for J.C. Treader. I don't know what it means, and I'm not really in the mood in the middle of the season to forecast that. You and I can get to it after the year. But you feel good about both of these deals. I mean, Wyatt Teller is going to make you know, his cap hit's going to be something in the in the in the area of you know 14 to it, it's all over the map. The cap number goes from four million next year to 15, 17, 18. They can do some things to offset some of the higher numbers, and they're also not going to be dead capped to death. Like if 2024 comes around when Wyatt turns 30, they can get out of the contract for six million. You know what I mean? Like it's not a it's not a disaster scenario, but you have him for three good years here at a pretty good number when they expect him at 27, 28, 29 to be in his NFL prime. And then the dead caps in 24, 25 are reasonable that if they need to move on from him, not saying they will, but if they do, they can. We don't know Joel's specific numbers kind of seems like it's a little later than it usually is on over the cap in terms of giving us some of those things, but it feels like he will be in the 16 million, a little over that Joe Tooney range. I like that they took care of both of them. They have Jed for a cheap contract for a while here. When they, if they do resign, expect them to resign Jed, that money will move along. What it alerts me to is what are they going to do at right tackle and what are they going to do at center? You know what I mean? Those are the two places that it seems kind of obvious to me, John, that they have to keep cheaper players around. Um, but, but exciting to me to see two really good guards here, which, you know, it helps. They're not as a, they're not a zone team. People think they're a big zone team. They are <laughs> a know. gap team and move these guards around. They get these guards out in space and let them play, man. So I, I thought I thought it was a wise move to keep these two. Yeah, um, yeah, and like you said, like they're just so important to how this offense is supposed to run. You know, that's why you sign these guys. Uh, in addition to that, you know, um, the stack came out. Uh, John Costco. Um, came out. They're they're pretty tight to the vest when it comes to their war numbers, their wins over replacement. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, John Costco came out and said, over the last two years, you're talking about the number one and number three most valuable in terms of win over replacement offensive linemen, not guards, offensive linemen in the entire league. That's who we just looked. Uh, you know who we locked up. So if you're wondering like why you go and sign these guys. It's because they have elite players at this position and mm-hmm. they're keeping them. And so they're paying them, you know, like the, the NFL can be very, um, uh, well, everybody knows kind of like the, the middle class is, is uh, short to, uh, it's a short list or it doesn't, it barely exists at all, right? Either you're like paying a guy, you know, top dollars or you're just drafting a rookie to pay under the, you know, under the, rookie wage scale you know and so there's not a ton of room in between there these guys are elite at what they do so that's why the browns i think were perfectly fine also um anthony reinhardt came out with a very nice chart there talking about the uh correlation year to year over year with guard play like guards tend to be extremely consistent in their grading year over year so you can not only are they elite at their position, but it's also a position that holds very well over time. So it, it makes it a little bit safer to pay these guys knowing that this is what you're going to get over the course of that contract. 
So, you know, I think it's a very good thing. You know, the good thing about how they structured, uh, you know, Teller is that his big money doesn't kick in until 2023. So, you know, anybody that's talking about, you know, what they're, how they can spend this much on the offensive line, honest to God, I think their spending as a group is going down from here with these signings. Uh, not because of these signings, but just because of the, how the future lays out. You've got, right now, we pay three of the five starters, like, big money and i'm talking about you know like 10 million dollars or more essentially you're paying big starter money to three fifths of this line plus you're paying um uh, a swing tackle something like six seven million so like between those things we have one of the most expensive lines percentage-wise at the cap in the entire league well you know one of these tackles is uh you know expiring after this year after two major injuries in two years um we don't have teller's money kicking in until uh 2023 and that provides the browns flexibility to find over the next two years a center and a right tackle i personally think that uh treader is probably now on a pretty good chopping block to not this might be his last year um, you know, the Browns can save like almost $9 million by cutting him. Um, I think they, they drafted Nick Harris thinking that that could be a possible replacement. He may, he may not, but um, they can save almost $9 million right off the bat by not bringing back Treader next year. Um, in addition, I don't think Conklin was ever going to be here past next year. So, um, you know, they signed him to a very team-friendly deal. There's some void years there, so it's a little funky. But um, I think we may have the center, at least of the near future, on the roster already that was drafted two years ago. And then, or, uh, yeah, two, year, two classes ago. And then we don't have the tackle unless it's Rodney Hudson, um, you know, for... I wish it was Rodney Hudson. James, you know, little different player. Oh shit, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good, dude. I just wish it was Rodney Hudson. I think what you got to talk about here with right tackle, John, is like it alerts me to the 2023 draft, right? Like as a a perfect cost controlled player. I don't know if they want to draft a player in 22 who is like a second round guy who they have to like burn a year. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it does alert me to definitely looking right tackle in 2020, 2023 because I feel like. A lot of the defense that they have in place, they feel like is going to be here for a little while. So it tells me they could take a couple drafts and go wide receiver this year potentially, and then take another offense early, offensive player early in twenty three. Uh, but you're you're right. I mean, I think you can get by in the modern NFL with centers who are like Nick Harris. I think Nick Harris has a real chance to win that job. I think uh, you know Blake Hans will get a chance to win it. Michael Dunn will get a chance to win it. They have some guys in those in those interior spots that can win that job. But and I it's think an easier job, right? It is. When you sandwich a guy between basically two all pros, you know, that's an easier job than it normally would be. It needs to be an effective run game blocker. That's why I'm high high hopes for yes. Nick Harris because of how I well agree. he moves. Um but I will say I think that in this offense they look at it as we are gonna leave our guards on islands often. And in doing that, leaving them on islands like that, we think we can scheme help for our tackles. That's something mm. we feel more comfortable with, but we need our guards to help our shorter quarterback. Interior pressure is the premium pressure. We can't let that happen 
Let's do and all we, we can to eliminate that. that. And let's, we can help, we can chip, we can double, we can do things on the outside. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, that to me is a, a philosophy. That. Wasn't that one, I think the long pass maybe to DPJ where um, they flashed Teller out to block the end. Yeah, um, they'll 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 do all sorts of stuff. They'll they'll do that yeah. run action cut stuff where they'll they'll sell counter and that puts the backside guard selling run action on the on a tackle, sorry, on an end anyway. So, yeah, yeah they'll they'll do that stuff. They'll get creative with it. I think I I mean, you know, guys, like they when they talk about these decisions, they're obviously pulling in Kevin and Callahan and hey, what does the future look like? Which positions on our offensive line do we value the most? who are going to help us succeed. This isn't a, it, it's everybody. I think we need to all understand that every single person involved with the offense is involved in sitting down and deciding if these guys are worth the money. You know, like they're going to sit with them and discuss it. It's not, hey, look, his pro football focus grades are pretty good, man. Let's go ahead and keep <laughs> these guys. It's not how it works. Yeah. Like they know how good these guards are. Callahan took a couple games last year when he was like, screw this, man. We need to do a whole bunch of different stuff and run game and, and use these studs at guard who can move in space and pull block and do different things. And the same thing's happening with the offense in terms of pass game, how they're going about helping their tackles but keeping their guards on island. So I'm with it. It could obviously come back to burn them. They could not find a center replacement they needed to find, or they could not find a right tackle in the course of the next two years when Conklin's done. But for right now, I think it's okay. I think it was the right move, and I feel really good about where they're going with it. So to sort of bow tie that, I it is not risk averse, but it is a I think a pretty sound move in general uh, to lock up not only not only you know positions of importance, but really good dudes, like really good players, and it seems like really good people, you know. So that obviously helps giving away money like that. And I should ask too, there's some smart people out there, John, who are saying that this does the, these two decisions make for the decision is clear. Now they're not going to keep Baker around. Why would they pay these guards when they're going to have to pay a quarterback? I don't think it, to me, it doesn't tell me anything. I, I think that decision is still, it's still completely independent from Baker Mayfield. I just think they both phases of the game. They know they need these guards to play their style of football and they, they, they wanted to just keep those guys. It doesn't tell me one way or the other whether they're going to keep Baker or get rid of them. Where are you at with some of those comments? It's like, oh, extremes. Like, like maybe they can just be keeping the guards for the offense, you know? Yeah. No, I know. I, I, you know, it's a, it's a weird thing to see uh, some of the smarter people looking at that, and I, I feel like they're just not, you know, obviously, like, your, your general fan just assumes that you're just tacking on this big salary to what you have now. Um, you know, but it's a different deal to have some of the smarter guys kind of making this mistake. The reality is, you know, the 2023 Browns have Miles Garrett, um, the two guards, um, John Johnson, and I think there's one, oh, Hooper, who probably will get cut um, before then. Maybe, maybe not. But either way, those are your only Cleveland Browns on paper right now that are there in 2023. So to like act like these signings mean something, like you have no idea what this roster construction, you know, what this is going to look like in 2023 right now. And, you know, typically when you talk about the number of top level players that you can pay on a typical roster, we're not at that point yet. Um, you know, so it just doesn't make sense. I don't know whether, you know, 
Baker's going to write his own story for the rest of this season, I think. You know, and I think that between you and I, the people that we talk to, you know, there's there's different reports about, you know, how the team feels in terms of whether they made an actual offer to Baker, whether they didn't. But, you know, the, the point being is, you know, I think it stands the way you stated it, which is this offense needs those guards. Uh, well, it makes sense because we don't have elite tackles on this roster that we need to re-up. You know, what we do have is elite guards that do a lot of the things that this offense needs um, that were up for a contract. So they re-signed them. You know, it's pretty much all that it says. And I, I just think that given that Teller's money does until 2023, um, given that we're going to let – you know, a swing tackle go, which pretty much pays for any raise for Joel Petonio. It just doesn't really, you know, in terms of how you think about a roster turning over players, because that's how it's going to go. And that, and again, like this is like one of those things that this fan base is not really understanding yet. What happens when you compete year to year? How much of a roster turns over over, say, a three year period? You know, I made this comment on Twitter. When you're talking about any NFL team, on average, three years apart, uh, how much of that roster is the same three years later? And I think people don't quite understand, and certainly not Cleveland fans, because it's just not a position they've really been in. Um, I estimated 35 to 40%, maybe, of your roster would be the same three years later in the NFL, like on average. Yeah, I think you're being generous. I think I am too. You know, you're right. And, you know, I don't think people like get that. So (laughs) it's just like, you know, you don't keep as much of your roster as you think, you know, and there's still like a lot of people out there, you know, uh, on the general population who are just, you know, thinking like about having studs at all 22 positions that will never happen. (laughs) You know, um, yep. You don't get to keep everybody. You get to keep a select core, and that's how they identify it. You know, like when Andrew Barry is sitting there and he's looking, he's looking at a two to three year plan. He's looking at how these people are signed. He's looking at how to line up the cap hits of various contracts. And nothing that they've done over the last two days by signing these two guards has eliminated options for them in terms of quarterback or. Um, really any other position that they want to, they can still sign, you know, frankly, they could still sign Baker, um, Ward and Najoku, which I hope happens three for three on those things. Uh, and certainly if they do those three things, you will start to get a little bit more limited, but right now signing these two guards has not eliminated a single option that they might want to choose. So, Anybody kind of projecting and saying this means this, it doesn't it doesn't mean that. I mean, you can you can uh, postulate, you know, you can say, oh, I think that this might be the case, but those two signings, full stop, did not eliminate any options as far as retaining any other players on this roster. Period. The end. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I think that that's well said. I, I don't I don't think you need to be jumping to conclusions. I think there will be a time when some of these things will get a little tighter when all of your extension worthy players get extended, then you start having some of those middle class to lower class discussions where maybe you can't afford a Troy Hill, so you really have to draft a Troy Hill in the fifth round. You know what I mean? Sure. Like that's mm-hmm. the stuff that tends to leak out. You know, you don't you don't see many, you know, big time teams that are tight against the cap end up losing their big dogs. They end up losing some of those middle to lower tier guys who do help. Not trying to say they don't help, but like the Richard Higgins of the world. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Those type of contracts. So we'll see how it shakes out for now. Rejoicing that your Cleveland Browns continue to re-sign the core players that matter to this football team. I think that helps. And those two guys are not players that I even question whether they're going to be good. They're going to be good. There's not a doubt in my mind. Just staying on the field is the only thing. Can they stay on the field? I don't see why they can't. And when they do, they're good, and that's good enough to make a re-signing happen for me. And I was happy with the numbers and happy with the outs in case things do go awry, especially for Wyatt, just in case. And I I don't expect it to, but they've protected themselves a little bit while also taking care of Wyatt. And I'm excited for those two to stay together for this group. So we'll keep an eye on that down the road. We'll see what happens at right tackle and center. But for now, they still have another year here of Conklin, and we'll see what they do with center. But uh, you, you know, as we broke down on Chalk Talk, J.C. Treader's still very, very good, man. Does a lot of really good things for this football team. Uh, we'll see if there's a way to keep him around another year. Uh, not into- entirely sure. I don't even does his contract last another year? I actually don't know that. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so he's, he, yeah, he's, he's, he's definitely got a contract, but you know, just so everybody knows, next year is very tight. Like I think people have this impression that. Um, the you know the cap goes up and it does it goes up a significant amount but with the cap going down last year almost every team in this league outside of like the worst teams in the league that just have a ton of space um almost all of those teams like all the people who like kind of made jokes about how oh yeah yeah the the cap isn't real all this thing well what you need to understand is that almost every team in this league shifted cost to next year Mm -hmm. so like you know even though the cap is going to go up quite a bit next year most of the league already spent that money so um the credit card theory with the void years yes correct yeah all right well talking about credit card years before we shift to our quick thoughts on the afc north so good friend of cleveland as we all know we love him in cleveland john elway the uh I think it was Darren Ravel reported that he turned down tw- he was offered 20% of the Broncos for 36 million in 1998. I think I've heard this before too, but it's just fun to talk about real quick. He was offered 30 20% of the Broncos for 36 million in 98. He turned it down. It could have been worth 3.75 million. Um sorry, it would have been based on the current valuation of 3.75 billion for the franchise. A 20% stake would have been worth uh, 750 million today. Probably John speaks to where the Denver Broncos are in his tenure, right? Like 
they got to a really high point like they did in 98. They won the Super Bowl, and then now they've had no downline vision of where to go, and I feel like the John Elway era in Denver has a chance to end pretty soon. But, uh, yeah, any any uh, f- any thoughts on this fun story? Oh, it's, a t- it's such a terrible decision. You know, I, I made the joke on Twitter that, you know, if Elway had, you know, half the foresight of um, – Bobby Bonilla, then this never would have happened. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, the truth. you know, um, the ridiculous thing, and I went back and checked this is the ridiculous thing is, you know, even right at the time, you know, where he could have purchased for 36 million and it wasn't that he had to cough up 36 million in cash. They needed 15 million in cash and for him to basically give up his salary for the year. Um, you know, so you know, he didn't even have to come out of pocket for even half of it. Um, and at that time, it was already worth like $70 million. So he just, you know, he could have doubled up just by opting in right at that time before even, you know, uh, the exponential growth afterwards. So I just, I, I, you know, it's it's very funny to me that Horseface McGee passed up this opportunity. It has to be like... You know, what's funny is that he's now worked in the organization. He's obviously not blind to the fact of what that would have been worth. So there's got to be like a little bit of Walter White in him, like gray matter. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> that's that's kind of what I thought when I was reading that today. Yeah, it's an insane thing. In 1998, I think we all knew where franchises were headed in terms of value. So it is, it's not like it was 1972, right? Like this is a different era. We knew sports were dominating the world at this point it's an insane and 20 percent is a chunk it's a huge number of us yeah we're not talking man. about minority owner like in basketball where you get like a couple of percent 20 percent of the denver broncos and he said nah i'm good <laughs> it's insane man it's insane yeah. let's shift yeah. over to other teams who are you know, I think are making a silly choice. Like I, I again, kudos to the Steelers. They came into Cleveland, they beat the Browns. I think they're what five and three now. They, they get all the help in the world to get to five and three in a just laughably bad game in terms of NFL officiating and catching breaks, as it seems like Pittsburgh always does. But hey, man, you guys can be excited, and I know that the point of the NFL is to win, Pittsburgh. I get it. Kudos to you. You're five and three, but you're going nowhere. Ben Roethlisberger is terrible. Like they're going nowhere and I'm happy for them. They're going to win seven, eight, nine games, maximum of nine. And it's like, you're what good's coming from it. You're not going to, you're not, you're not a serious Super Bowl contender. And it's like, I guess I, 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 maybe this is my like thing here where like, what, what is your goal for a season? If the goal is only the Super Bowl, then yeah, it's fun to laugh at Pittsburgh. If your goal is just to con, you know, win some games and compete, Again, your your vision of the whole thing could be skewed or different than mine. Not skewed, but just different than mine. But to me, it's it's just laughable that they've run it back and made some decisions they've made because they're going nowhere. I guess you can bank on the fact that, hey, we're going to go sign a veteran quarterback. But And I know it's a bad quarterback year in general. I, I, I think it is, at least. I haven't studied these guys like crazy. But it's like you're going to go 8-9. You're not going to have a great draft pick. And then, like, what's the future? Like, the Pittsburgh has so much a mystery to their future. It just, it's such a weird position. Even if you go get Aaron Rodgers somehow, some way, how are you translating that into the future beyond? I, I don't know. I don't know where they're going. I just know that like, they're all excited about winning some of these tight games over the, of the Geno Smith Seahawks and the Chicago bears. And it's like, 
you know, cool. That's great. But I just kind of am like, I don't envy the position Pittsburgh's in. Even though I know the Browns have had some mystery about Mayfield and up in I don't envy the position they're in. I don't I don't see how they go from here. Maybe but again, maybe there's some trick up their sleeve. They pull out some quarterback they figured out, but for now it's like you guys are like really excited about these wins. You're not winning the division and you're not going anywhere serious, but I guess it's cool. Good for you. No, I mean, you know, you're right in pointing that out. Uh you know, it's only hurting them then. They may still be in that denial phase. The you know, Ben will come off the, the books and, you know, even in a strong year, uh, being in a position of the draft, say the fourth or fifth quarterback, it's not, a, it's not a good position to be in. And this is not a strong year. You know, whatever it is, it's not a strong year. Now, that could mean uh, nobody knows who the number one guy is. And so it's a lottery ticket either way and you might strike it rich. But Odds are that you won't strike it rich. And, uh, you know, if that means, uh, you know, obviously for Browns fan, like the ideal situation is that uh, they like some quarterback in this class. They take him, you know, somewhere in the, what, you know, early 20s and um, have to uh, try and make that work for three, four years. We know a little something about that. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I would love to watch Pittsburgh enter that kind of a cycle because it's a brutal cycle. And this is like this is the kind of thing that I I bring up like every time somebody's just like, oh, yeah, you just let Baker go. And and I get it like, you know, the way he was playing the last uh, few games before this one, um, maybe you were going to be forced into that. But, you know, outside of that, you know, ending last year, uh, starting this year type thing. You know, these people who are like, oh, Baker has to be either one of the top three quarterbacks in the league or you don't pay him. You know, I, I feel like those people haven't really experienced the maelstrom is what I would call it of, uh, you know, of drafting not ever the first quarterback, but the second, the third, the fourth. Um, or even worse, if you're going to draft in the second, third round. Um and then trying to make that work for two, three years because there, there's opportunity costs, you know, in addition to drafting that quarterback, you know, and there's uh, there's years that you spend trying to justify that and trying to make things optimal for that person who is very unlikely to ever pan out for you. And I would love for Pittsburgh to enter that little cycle of death, you know, the little beach ball, you know, for any Mac users um where you draft two three of these and that takes up a decade of your franchise which we talked about like how much turnover there is over three years um when you get something wrong if you like let's just like take the 49ers for example right they traded three fucking first round i'm sorry um they traded three first round picks for trey lance if they are wrong about trey lance this team will be unrecognizable by the time they draft their next one. That's what people have to understand. What you've done by getting a quarterback decision wrong is that the next time you draft another one, you basically flush the entire team. That's, that's how that works. You know, it's a, it's a weird thing, but that's what people have to understand. Like 
that 49ers team, if, uh, if Trey Lance isn't the guy, they will be unrecognizable by the time they draft another one. So I would love for Pittsburgh to enter that cycle. Um, we, have, we know it very well. You know, I mean, you could go kind of bane on it. You know, we were born in the darkness in that <laughs> sense. So, you know, we know what it's like. And I would love for somebody else very close to me meaning Pittsburgh, which is only an hour and a half away. I would love for them to join in that experience for the next decade. I wouldn't mind watching it. I wouldn't mind watching yeah. it one bit. I need to see more of it because the damn Ravens have done the same thing where they've just have gotten fortunate to figure out the next guy and the next guy, and it's like it doesn't seem like the Ravens are going to experience it for a while. It doesn't seem like Cincinnati's going to, so it would be really cool if somebody else in the division would suffer because I'm tired of being the only team that suffers. With this Somebody's got to be the guy, Somebody's right? got to be the Somebody's guy. Somebody has to be the sucker at the table. Yeah, we need it to be Pittsburgh. <laughs> so hopefully they can oblige yeah. uh, and and make that happen. I'm just watching an anemic Dolphins offense. They are I know. so that. bad. Um, <laughs> we'll talk Baltimore real quick. As I don't know, Jacoby Brissett might have just really hurt his knee. But um, we'll talk about the Ravens. You're talking about a team that I'm watching them. They're down six three. They could get down twenty three to three right now, and, and and it's the third quarter, and I think they'd figure it out. Like. I, I've just never Dolphins, seen. I've never though. seen anything like it. I've never seen a team like Baltimore who can have so many things work out in their favor, and <laughs> like getting a an intercept, an opposing team fumbles, picks off a pass at fifty yard line, close to the fifty yard line in overtime. In overtime, nothing in comes overtime. of it. It's just bananas. Yeah. They're like they're so comfortable in the chaos of this season. It makes me. I just couldn't help but laugh that they ended up winning that game. Like I, I can't <laughs> I expect anything less at this point. It just I don't like saying it, but it feels like they're a team of destiny. And I still don't think they're that good. I still don't think they're that good. But they're, they're just like this this team that they're the I, I equated it on the Sunday Twitch show. They're just like a cockroach. They won't go away. They just they won't. <laughs> you can step on them and step on them and they just shimmy away. They figure out a way to get away and get a win. And it's it's just I'm tired of watching it, man. Yeah, and they, you know, sooner or later that kind of luck has got to run out. You so, think. We hope. I'm tired yeah. of seeing it, man. Uh, you know, what I hope is that it happens before the playoffs, you know, like to give us a chance to take this division from them because I think that no matter what, it's going to die in the playoffs. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, how is this team who many people will rank in, say, their top six? seven teams in the NFL. How are they down to the Miami Dolphins in the third quarter? And, it's you know, like, like it's people like the Bills keep... and the Jags, man. Just one team yeah. doesn't show up ready to play. Except for it's been a bunch of times. You know, like the, you know, um, somebody brought up, um, I, I forget what it was. It might be the PFF forecast, right, where, um, and I think it was. And they brought up a good point, which was that, you know, some of the narrative around these Ravens is, um, well, they prove they can come from behind, right? Because that was a previous narrative about this team. Uh, the problem with that is that they're continually proving that. And in continually proving that, it means that you're continually behind, <laughs> which says something, right? I understand the results are what the results are, but the reality is that they this team is constantly behind whatever team they're playing with almost no exceptions you know basically the chargers and that's like it 
You know, other than that, this team is behind in the third quarter, it seems like, every single week. Whether they're playing the Dolphins or Detroit Lions or Kansas City Chiefs, it does not matter. These guys are losing in the third quarter. Sooner or later, you have to get punished for that. It just will happen. And maybe it won't happen all the way to the playoffs, but it will happen. You know, like the last thing that you want is to have spent your entire season proving that you can come back against any team because you've had to come back against every single team uh, because that just isn't going to get you through a single elimination tournament at the end of the year. Yeah, I don't, I don't have much to offer with Baltimore. I'm just... I am laughably in amazement at their ability to get through some of these games where they have no business winning and they didn't show up and they didn't do all the right things. And again, that's kudos to Lamar who seems to always be able to figure it out late and you're never really out of games with him. And he's 24, 25 and I'm already tired of talking about him. That's where we're going for the next 10 years. And he's having a good year. Let's give him that, you know, like he's, he's having a good year. Like, you know, but that's it for that team. In terms of most valuable, John, I mean, it, they would be winless without him. They, they'd be yeah. flat-out winless without that dude. So kudos to him for keeping them Agreed. afloat. I should talk, too, about upcoming schedules. Pittsburgh's upcoming schedule gets real tricky, man. They have um, – they. let me see if I can pull this back up real quick. They go – Lions this week should be a win for them, but then they go to the Chargers, to the Bengals, host the Ravens, uh, go to Minnesota, host the Titans, go to Kansas City – and then home for Cleveland. So that's even more of my point with Pittsburgh. It's like, you're going nowhere, and this schedule's about to get ridiculous. So, you know, I just don't, you know, to, to back up my earlier point, I don't I don't think they're going to be uh, any kind of real threat. With Baltimore, before we shift to Cincy real quick, uh, they have this game, they're down 6-3 in the, in the third quarter. I fully expect them to come back and win. Uh, they go to Chicago, host Cleveland, to Pittsburgh, host uh, to Cleveland after Cleveland's bye. And then they host Green Bay, go to Cincy, host the Rams, and then host the Steelers. So it's not an easy finish to the year, but uh, it's a little less than what Pittsburgh's dealing with. So Cincinnati, look, man, I think I still think I'm taking Cincinnati serious. I think they're going places. I think this game was a, a microcosm of like, hey, the NFL has these plays that are bang bang plays and you either you make the play or you don't make the play like jamar chase had a, those downfield shots and it's like literally i think that Higgins game was, in the end zone yeah i like think that they were defined on like six plays in that game where they either the, the catch point decided the game you know like the catch point decided the game for them on offense and that'll be that way for them for a while just because you know of how gifted you know how gifted i'm just was watching this freakish play i'm watching simultaneously here yeah I've um yeah just like their offense is is going to just trust their dudes, and they're going to give them shots downfield. I'm sure when we look back on it at the end of the year, we're going to say, okay, Cincinnati led the NFL in targets deep down. I mean, Chase had 13 targets in that game alone. Like, That's just who mm-hmm. they are. They're going to make enough of those plays because they're so talented. The defense regression to the mean, I think, is really starting to hit for them, though. I'll be serious about that. Like, you can only trust Von Bell, Eli Apple to, to, to make enough plays for you. you know, we all know Larry fades a little bit late in the year, too. I just... I just think that their defense, which has been a stellar surprise across the board, is having a return to earth back to the average, and it's going to hit them a little harder there, and that's why I kind of think they they also end up floating around 500 as well. I'm taking them serious. They're, they're an AFC North contender for the foreseeable future, but I don't think they're there defensively yet. 
No, I, I agree. They're not there defensively. I think they made some good pickups this year um, that have paid off. I think Hendrickson, um, you know, where there were questions about him. Um, I think he's been what you pay for. So I think that was a good signing. I think uh, Ouzier uh, is a guy that I liked in the draft, uh, a guy that I would have loved to have picked up at the price that they got him um, as a corner. So I think that's a good pickup. Um, I assume that they're going to re-sign Jesse Bates. So they have some pieces there. They've definitely got a framework for a, uh, a good defense, and they definitely have a framework for a good offense. I know there's people that are still harping on this uh, offensive line versus Chase. I think that argument is dead. I think what you should be arguing if you want to say they made a mistake is uh, getting a little cute at the top of the second round by moving down. Uh, that's where I faulted them. Um, they uh, are a good team. I think they're a little bit better than my priors. That's how I come off this game. They're a little bit better than my priors. I think a game. You know, so now where I always considered them like a seven, eight win team, maybe they're an eight, nine win team. I don't think they're going to be more than that for this season, but you're right in the fact that they've got a pretty nice future with, uh, especially with Pittsburgh trending down. Um, and I will make a point where, yes, this game against the Browns was very heavily, um, decided in a handful of plays uh you know i mean i think a good example of that is uh it's interesting there were some people who were knocking baker's performance as a unneeded part of the game like oh yeah he was good but he was good when they didn't need him to be that was uh that's a another narrative that i've seen from some smart people this week well, I don't know very many Browns fans that didn't feel like we needed that last touchdown. When Baker put that strike down to Najoku, that was really the breathe easy point of the game um, because uh, they had performed fairly well with, uh, meaning the Bengals, they performed pretty well um, outside of making some rather large mistakes, obviously. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to take anything away from how Baker performed. And I'm going to acknowledge the fact that, uh, that, uh, that offense was able to move the ball pretty well against this defense who was playing pretty well. So, uh, they're legit. I think, uh, I can agree with you. It's a legit team who you should take seriously. Um, but they certainly are not on the level of the Browns kind of almost a little bit, Similar, but maybe a year off from where the Browns were last year with that defense where um, they were a legit team, but with obvious flaws that were just going to haunt you in any high-level matchup. Probably safe, probably safe. Cleveland had some pretty fo uh, pretty fortunate schedule stuff last year and mm -hmm. uh, got past some things. So, yeah, I think the Bengals are close. They're hovering. They're not there yet, but they're definitely somebody that – they command your respect. The talent on offense is that good. It, it definitely commands the respect. And if they draft well over the next few years and uh, see some nice free agent signings, they're going to be a real contender in this division. So uh, kudos to them. I'm looking forward, and I think it'll be a better game when they come to Cleveland late in the year. So that'll be that'll be fun to watch. That's the division, and we'll continue to update you on things across that. We're closed with how they beat the Patriots. 
Uh, I think the Patriots are, as far as injuries go, are also dealing with a really banged up running back room, Armando Stevenson, and then and then uh, uh, Harris is also dealing with, I think they're both in concussion protocol, and they have not practiced this week as of today. I will see if they, Damian Harris practices tomorrow, but they're uh, on the on the brink of Brandon Bolden and James White, which is a better situation than just Ernest Johnson that Cleveland's dealing with, but nonetheless, a little beat up there, a little beat up in their linebacker room. I listen. I think that with the Patriots' offense, you know, with Mac Jones, they, they, their, their a dot is extremely low, and they try to get the football out to shallow portions of the field. He does not like to push it downfield. I, I feel pretty good about where Cleveland's defense is. They have cleaned up most of the miscommunication stuff that was really a bugaboo for them as they as they entered the the meaty portion of the schedule. And they're allowing the front four to get after the quarterback. You know, some people talk about this stuff with Joe Woods and talk about being creative. And when creativity is thought of with defense, John, most of the time people think of blitz packages and how do you create chaos for a quarterback. I think Cleveland is is upticking in how they approach coverage. I definitely think Joe Woods wanted to be a quarters guy, predominantly a quarters guy and live in that, and has since adjusted to figure out what his guys do well and don't do well. There was a really big uptick last week in man coverage, and I know you're going to talk about the quote that he had about realizing he needs to press his corners a little bit more. Just because you press your corners doesn't mean you're committing to more man. You can do different things from press coverage in terms of zone and little wrinkles Agreed. and things like that. But uh, to me, it's like he's adapting, which is great. They used, uh, uh, they did uptick in man coverage last week, 14 snaps of man coverage. They're getting higher and higher in cover three, which is something I like because when you go cover three, it, it requires less. Uh, uh, Ronnie Harrison playing center field is less read and react, more uh, let it unfold in front of you, which avoids the hero ball stuff he was trying earlier in the year. But it also uh, gives you the fortune of moving John Johnson a little closer to the line of scrimmage. He finally got over the, the double-digit box snap numbers last week when he got to 10, but then he had the neck injury issue pop up, but he got to 22 snaps inside the tackle box, which is really encouraging uh, to me in terms of allowing him to play good football. And he's obviously played his best football of the year in Cincinnati. So that's encouraging, but they played cover two in, in non red zone situations for the first time all year. I had to go back and look at it like, Whoa, they're playing cover two. They're mixing up their coverages. They're playing more, dense middle of the field coverages to take away some of those easier throw from quarterbacks and the run defense remains stellar. I think they got beat on a couple pin pulls on the perimeter where I thought the cornerbacks were pretty lethargic. I do not expect that to continue after they watch some embarrassing tape there against Cincinnati, <laughs> but their strength is funneling teams on the inside and in run game and handling it there. JOK appears to be on track to be back. I feel really good about the Browns offense against the Patriots defense. Sorry, the Browns defense against the Patriots offense, but there could be, you know, if Bill looks at it and he has the tendencies and there could be ways in which they're able to scheme some things up. You know, Josh McDaniels has been doing this long enough and if he gets Belichick involved about how the Browns teach certain coverages or their their rules against certain releases, I do think they're going to be way more prepared in terms of getting like Cincinnati last week was very much our guys are our guys and we're going to throw it downfield to them and you got to stop it. This is going to be more, Hey, we're going to do some funky things at the line of scrimmage. Maybe you have our receivers cross release or have a tight end chip block for two seconds and then release. It's going to make them be disciplined in their approach this week. So that to me, they're not going to outdo you with Jacoby Myers and, and, uh, 
um, Nelson Aguilar and Hunter Henry. Like they, they'll be fine man to man athletically, but they got to be very disciplined in their approach. If they are, I think that they could definitely stay in that 14, 15, 16 range we've seen in points allowed the last three weeks. So I don't know what your thoughts are about the Patriots offense, but they are not unique in any way. They use the only unique things when I look at the SIS data is that they use a high uptick of fullback based personnel. They use 21 and 22 personnel at the fifth highest rate in the NFL. They use a ton of motion, just like Cleveland does. They're second in motion usage, and they run gap run game a ton. They're second in the NFL in gap run percentage, and Cleveland's number one in the NFL in gap run percentage. So nothing fancy. It's a rookie quarterback. Just I think you just got to do your job this week, not to steal the mantra from their team they're playing, John, but do your job and they should be fine. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, the, you know, just in terms of Joe Woods, uh, talking about, like I think that uh, for anybody, and I've been plenty uh, critical in, uh, starting at the beginning of the year, I think you really want to appreciate the fact that he is adapting over the course of the year. That's a big deal, you know? So if you spent a good chunk of the beginning of the year uh, hitting on Joe Woods, uh, take a step back here because uh, he's adapting to his personnel. He's changing the way he does things. Uh, we have that on paper. You know, that's that's not a uh, uh, you know a thumb in the wind type thing. He's adjusting to his personnel. He's doing more things that they're good at, and you should be willing to, I think, uh, accept and appreciate those changes. So. You know, outside of that, um, there's definitely zero to fear about the New England offense. So you get JOK back, uh, you should expect big things. You should expect them to keep them under 20. That's a reasonable expectation coming into this game. Now, Belichick is uh, pretty famous for a, he takes away what you do best, right? And uh, I would expect, them to mostly be selling out against the run and maybe be focused on dpj um you know now if baker is you know going back to his old self then i don't think that matters much um i think we can hit uh tight ends i think we can hit some other wide receivers and and do pretty well but this defense, like flat out, you know, even in a hobbled situation where we don't have Nick Chubb and, um, you know, we've got to rely on either practice squad guys or our um, guys that uh, are third string and beyond. The, I think that if we're going to hold opponents to less than 20 points, which is what I expect, then we should win most games that way. So uh, I feel pretty good, you know, about going in here. And uh, there's been some people who have expressed um, concern for uh, our passing game going in there. I'm not really worried about it. Uh, it's going to be a test, John. They're, they're going to play a ton yeah, of man. They play like – For sure test. 45. Yes. If you're watching the Miami game tonight, like this is what New England – I mean, you know, obviously Flores is a disciple. Like this is what they do. I think the Dolphins lead the NFL in man percentage. New England's like third or fourth. So they are going to – cover the hell out of you with man-to-man coverage and try to pressure you. I think that that is, and it's working. Like they have Baltimore bottled up. I mean, Lamar's thrown for like 95 yards in the third quarter, late in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Here. So they get after yeah. you and they're a bunch of no name dudes. They like to play three safeties, three corners. Um, you know, Kyle Duggan, they have the McCordy's there still. And 
and and um you know along the inside they have the rookie Barmore's playing pretty fine and then the biggest issue is you got to block Matthew Judon who's we all know Judon well from his time in Baltimore and, and all of that so they're but they're defensively obviously so well coached so well schemed so they're just unique they stack the box they have the second highest stack box percentage they play one high shell all the time they're third in the NFL in that they play a 335 at the number 1 usage rank and 231 snaps or 335 they don't handle the run game very well so that's where it's, it's like a man it's a damn shame that we probably won't have Nick yeah, back that's the thing man that's the big thing is is they won't have Nick and that is that is a that 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 concerns me a little bit because you could really run the ball and con- control them and even if you think back to the last time the Browns played in New England if you take out a couple I think Nick had two fumbles in that game but they were on long runs like he was one yeah. of them was a was a game breaker like an 80 yarder that he got tackled there and and, and fumbled so uh, I do think they can run and Nick isn't ruled out we don't know I mean he could it's unlikely but he could come back with two negatives in a row and no symptoms I've heard Demetric Felton is looking like a definite no-go because of symptoms, but I have not heard anything definitive on Nick. We will keep you uh, in the loop, I'm sure, when that breaks. We'll all know. But, like, they don't they don't go crazy in terms of they play the most three-man front stuff in the NFL, and the Browns can block it well. And like I said, they, they keep the middle of the field closed all the time in coverage. They're going to challenge you. They're second in the NFL in just three-man rushing, so they'll they'll mix and match a little bit, right, where they will – where they will uh, take, they'll sugar or mug the A-gaps and then bail and only end up rushing three and dropping eight. They don't four-man rush. They only, they, so this is the dramatic drop-off. They have they have uh, 55 three-man rush snaps, second in the NFL, but 100, only 161 four-man rush snaps, which is 28th. So they, they don't do that. They're either blitzing you or they're three-man rushing you and they're making you think a lot. So I don't know, man. It's, it's going to be a game where I think the Browns can get to 20. They're in a good position. 20 to 13 is like the number I think is the one that makes the most sense if the Browns do win. I just don't see New England's offense going off. So I think it's going to be low scoring. Browns receivers will be and tight ends because they play these tight ends so much will have their hands full. They're going to get mugged. They're going to get, you know, hands are going to be on. They're going to have to beat man coverage. We'll see how that stuff. And Bake's going to have to throw some anticipatory throws and give his guys a chance in man coverage to make a play on the football too. Yeah, it sounds about right. And, um, you know, the, the Patriots are multiple in nature. So you know that they're going to adapt their plan there. You know, uh, as you and I watch film about uh, most teams, it's harder pre- to predict what the Patriots are going to do outside of they're going to try and take away what you do best. Um, but you can't, like, watch their film and be like, oh, this is what they're going to do. No, they're going to adapt that to – what they think that they need to do to beat you. So um, it should be pretty interesting. The Browns, I think, are clearly a better team. Um, so uh, we'll see how it goes. It's a road game. Um, but is Kevin going to be at his best? Is Baker going to be at his best? Uh, I think we'll know pretty early, honestly. You know, as you watch that, by the end of the first half, you should have a pretty good idea whether or not – They've been outflanked coaching-wise, uh, whether Baker is on point, um, you know, whether our run game is working at all with, say, Dearness Johnson if we don't get Nick Chubb back, those types of things. I think you know, we'll have a pretty good idea by half, like if we're fighting uphill, if we're looking pretty good, those types of things. So it should be interesting, but to your point, you know, not easy to predict. 
you know, because we're going to be relying on execution. Yeah. Um, you know, it, when will they start cutting down on these penalties? You know, mm-hmm. like how I don't want to spend much time on it, but the silliness of getting three penalties of your defensive line lining up offsides is ludicrous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, um, you know, I think I think this is going to be kind of self-evident um, pretty quickly. I don't think we'll have to watch the whole game to know where this game's going. A good week to steal a score somehow, whether a, a trick play, mm-hmm. uh, whether a shot play. I would love to yeah, see Yeah, we Anthony, haven't seen those. Yeah, I'd right? love to see Anthony Schwartz get involved in something, get a downfield yeah. shot or get some sort of creative touch. I have a feeling he's due uh, just to put that speed on display at some point soon. It'd be a great week for it. And it's also a great week for a special teams home run if they could find a way to get one and obviously got to protect against the special teams home runs that new England can try to have too, because they get creative there. So hopefully we look back on this game and the Browns have, have a uh, out coach new England, which is never easy, never easy to go into new England and out coach those guys. But that's a game where you want to feel like your guys were, were really prepared. So uh, John, this has been fun, man. We'll, we'll check back in later uh, next week and, and go back over what we thought. I thought we were pretty spot on about how the Browns beat the Bengals. And I thought we were spot on the week before about the things that ended up costing them in the Pittsburgh game. But, um, you know, people seem to enjoy these pods, and I think they, they end up going pretty well for looking around the league and looking at how the Browns get it done. And, you know, as usual, and speak for everybody who listens, I appreciate your time, brother. Hey, these, uh, it's my favorite part of the week, too. So let's uh, let's go Brownies and enjoy a win, and let's talk about that uh, come Friday. I know I – it, it takes a little bit because I don't get to talk about what happened last week until Friday with you, but uh, I really enjoy it when I get to. It makes it much more enjoyable than uh, getting to the end and trying to skip through what happened on the lobs. That's true, man, and it makes the week better. It just makes yep. the week far better, especially <laughs> for when you got to talk about the Browns 24-7. So oh, a I good know. week, um, and hopefully we have another one. Thanks to John again for joining. Thanks for him taking the time. Thanks to you guys for taking your time listening to this podcast, subscribing to it, downloading it as you do. A reminder, we're trying to get to 1,000 subscribers on Twitch by Thanksgiving. Ticket giveaways, if that happens. So link up your Amazon Prime subscription to it ASAP. Description for how to do that, you can find at the OBR. We will give you all that information. Very easy to do. Doesn't cost anything more out of your pocket. All it means is that you have to uh, uh, you know, fork over half of your Amazon Prime money and you just do it by subscribing to a Twitch channel, which is really unique and cool because you don't pay any more, and we get some of that as a means for content creation, and all that fun stuff happens, and you still get your Amazon Prime benefits. So appreciate you guys joining today's pod. We'll have a some sort of Saturday pod. I don't know what it'll be yet. Hopefully looking at something from the college angle like we traditionally like to do. Keep you guys posted on that. We'll have something Saturday in your game day preview with Brad Ward on Sunday. Appreciate your guys' time, support, energy, efforts, it means everything to me. A thank again, a thanks again to John for taking an hour here out of his Thursday night to to yuck it up about the Browns and all of this fun stuff. So, guys, have a great Friday. Appreciate you all, and go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.